Welcome to the Athlete's Compass Podcast, your North Star for mastering endurance training and holistic health. Join us each week as renowned sports scientist and founder of Athletica.ai, Paul Larson, along with athlete, coach, and sports scientist Mariana Rakai, and coach and cyclist Paul Warlowski, guide you through the maze of often confusing training principles. Make sure your compass is ready. Class is now in session. Hello and welcome to the third episode in the Athlete's Compass, where we navigate training, fitness, and health for everyday athletes. In the first two episodes, we told our stories as athletes and coaches. We defined health and discussed what makes for a healthy athlete. We talked about how an athlete's health is negatively affected by the no pain and no gain mentality. We talked about how Dr. Paul Larson built the Athletica platform with the motto of train smarter, not harder. And that mentality is the context in which we discuss everything else, how everyday athletes train smarter. This week, we're talking about defining what an everyday athlete actually is and what makes an everyday athlete different from an elite or pro athlete with their training and fitness. I am an everyday athlete. And all of my coaching clients are everyday athletes, except for a few juniors who are national level cyclists. All of my master's athletes have day jobs and families, and they struggle to find that consistent training time. Generally, they do the best training they can given all of life's circumstances. So, Mariana, how would you define an everyday athlete? So, to me, it was really important to define what an athlete is. And I actually love the everyday athlete because, to me, an athlete is anyone who challenges themselves and hones their skills regularly. Um, and, and, and I love that you use everyday athlete in your um, simple coaching business, mm-hmm. um, because you could, you could be an athlete and not train every day, but you're still an everyday athlete. Absolutely. Uh, um, to me, coming from a mom athlete perspective, um, I don't, I haven't really had this, this conversation with men, but oftentimes I have this conversation with mom athletes who don't see themselves as athletes. And there's mm. a lot of like, um, we moms, we tend to have guilt about everything (laughs) we feel guilt about taking time to go and train because somehow we think that it's away from the family which oftentimes is our top priority it took me many years to actually define myself as an athlete and my previous coach and i we had a discussion about okay she was saying you're training like a pro athlete but you don't see yourself as an athlete so i had to kind of figure out why did i not look at myself as an athlete even even though i had high goals and i was training every day so i kind of wanted to to start 
this podcast with defining what an athlete is. Um, so I coach a lot of athletes um, and like you, Paul, most of them have um, high achieving. A lot of the time they don't think themselves as an athlete, although they have really high goals, high stress work. Um, they have families, social lives and all that, that we all have. So you're saying that they train like athletes, but they don't necessarily identify as an athlete. How come? I think it comes back to the mindset of um, what we see as athletes are like pro athletes, somebody who is at elite level, I think. And when our main job is, you know, um, somewhere else, we don't see ourselves as an athlete. Hmm. But to me, it, it, it can be defined as somebody who is honing their skills, um, challenging themselves. And it could be endurance sports. It could be, you know, power sport, like weightlifting. It could be like more aesthetic uh, sport, like bodybuilding. That's an athlete too. Paul, what about you? What do you think makes for an everyday athlete? Well, I, you know, again, I, I keep stealing uh, the work of Phil Maftone, but he, he, you know, he coined the phrase that we're all athletes. So, um, and, and, you know, the, the lister may be aware that I coach um, from the highest, uh, the best professional athletes, but I also coach the everyday athlete as well. And, um, you know, we all, we all, we're all human beings at the end of the day. We all have that in common. And maybe I'll just kind of start by defining the, I'll start by defining the professional athlete. And then I'm going to work back to the, uh, to the everyday athlete in terms of my definition. So the professional athletes that I do coach, um, that's their job. They, their only job is to, is to train, to recover, um, when they come to me, they learn how to be healthy and, uh, and all the things that, uh, that allows them to be a little bit more, um, you know, recover, recover better. Because remember last time we learned about that, you know, um, the process of, of training means workout plus recovery. So we all share that in, in common. And of course, um, with the, I guess with the professional athlete, they struggle because they're with the balance in their life because their their workout is just so much and they sometimes forget about that sort of recovery um or you know their or sorry their their training is so much and their their other balance part in the recovery gets um gets missed and but that's all they really have to kind of focus on right that's that's um is that training and, and their and their recovery and they tend to not have as many other problems with respect to the everyday athlete that's going to have um you know uh potentially families potentially um you know uh maybe more social um commitments and these sorts of things uh work and they are, you know, they can be very selfish. Now, with the everyday athlete, they're, you know, again, they've, they've got to train to become, um, get to where they want to go. Um, and they're, but again, I think as Mariana sort of said, well, 
yeah, I th- maybe maybe we maybe we all realize that they're they're struggling with that that balance sort of aspect. Um, I think with all of us though, is it's time management, um, and you know whether you're a whether you're a professional athlete and you're struggling with training too much and focusing on the recovery, you still need to we need to still quantify the pieces of the puzzle that we're working on. Um, to get to the end. And um, with the, with the professional, it's, you know, it's how do I train, you know, 25, 30 hours a week and then recover from that with the everyday athlete. It might just be, how do I squeeze in 10, you know, eight or 10 hours of training, of good quality training, the right type of training plus recovery, plus doing everything else. Um, So if we, you know, if I globally think about it that way, that's, that's sort of how I, how I think about it. We're all working on our time management. We all need to train and we all need to recover, but, and then we're, you know, your, your level or your ability is probably going to be related to how much training you can actually do. Um, there's, you know, that's, if I go back to Alphabetica, there's a reason why we have high, mid and low volume plans, not to say that you can't be successful. Sammy Inkenim podcast in the training science podcast, he came on and told us how he, you know, he, he became uh, Kona world champion age grouper on only, you know, 10 to 12 hours training a week of quality. And he tells us how he, how he does that, but, you know, he's a bit of an exception, generally speaking, you know, the elites tend to train more. So um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of similarities and then there's a lot of differences between the two. So it sounds like the, the big difference is the training volume as well as the more kind of singular focus that a an elite or a pro athlete can have on their training because they have fewer distractions. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's 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 what I believe. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think you I think you nailed it right there, Paul. So we we spent our first two episodes talking about healthy athletes, and given all the time and energy demands of of an everyday athlete, how would you define or what makes for a healthy everyday athlete? Well, for me, they're a healthy everyday athlete is one that is doing a lot of practices that allow them to be healthy. So, and, you know, um, and, you know, I guess some of the big ones that many of us are going to be aware is, you know, number one, uh, and this comes from Alistair Brownlee is the first podcast we did on the training science podcast. And he said, you know, recovery is is ninety percent sleep and and nine uh, percent nutrition and one percent everything else. So, you know, this is a two time gold medalist. That's what he sort of sort of believes. So, sleep has to be one number one as a, as a factor. If you tend if you are sleeping well, everything else tends to 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 um, to fall into into place. And there's a lot of different reasons why. Um, Matthew Walker, why we sleep, is a great resource and book. If people want to um, understand that, but that's 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 a big one. The remember that everything is a stress that includes food and nutrition, um, but we want to keep that food stress as low as we can. So nutrition is a big a big factor as well. Uh, the old adage, "You are what you eat." So um, you, you know we need to be. Um, it, it's it's just so true, right? You need to be supplying your body with the 
the fuel that it requires to do to do the work and not sabotaging the that recovery process. Now, um, Mariana, hope, I hope one day she will give you her story on, on some of the lessons that she's learned, because I know she has a great journey on that. And I, I, I myself uh, as well, and I've, I've told it many, many times on the Training Science Podcast, but yeah, I, I, um, you know, I'm, I used to be, a, I'm, I'm a, bit of, a bit ashamed, but I used to be a, you know, a two liter of Coca-Cola per day kind of, kind of athlete. Um, and, uh, but you know, the, yeah, I guess those, that, that, that was a great, that was a great lesson, I guess, when I, um, you know, did that, that I didn't get to where I needed to be. I, again, that's what I was doing that in my twenties, probably got away with it a little bit more, but it is interesting that I didn't have my best Ironman result until, um, until I was in my forties and I was on uh, sort of a more of a whole food kind of, kind of, uh, kind of process. So I really learned about nutrition as another factor that that makes me a, a healthy athlete and then not training excessively relative to where I'm at I think that's that's another one too right the no pain no gain that we spoke about already spoke about so those those are my big three right so um, uh, the uh, nutrition sleep and and uh, proper exercise training and then you know I think there's other ones around that too in terms of human connection social thing you know social aspects um, yeah, just holism sort of sort of aspects, and um, yeah, like moving towards uh, a purpose in your life as well is is really is also really really important. That kind of speaks to you, um, speaks to your health as well. So. I, I think I think uh, part of what is different, uh, part of the difference um, between an elite athlete and everyday athlete is the lack of opportunities to recover for an everyday athlete mm. we're squeezing the workout early in the morning we may be cut down on sleep <laughs> wake up 4 a.m to get a workout in then go full day at work then come home uh take care of kids take them to you know their sports or activities and then stay up late catch up on emails have a glass of wine to relax and then we expect to have a good night's sleep. <laughs> that is, um, that's, I find that I struggle the most with my athletes is to make them understand that sleep is everything. And once I get that across and they start practicing, like prioritizing sleep and rest, um, then they start noticing the snowball effect. Uh, they feel more energetic during the training. They are better able to make those decisions. Okay. You know, like that zone three that feels good because you're pushing a little hard and you, you're feeling all the endorphins and you're feeling good. You just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hang out here in the zone three, even though coach said only zone two. <laughs> and then, so when we, when we've, um, backed up our brains with good sleep, we can make those good decisions and hold back a little bit on those training rides where we're supposed to be doing zone two, not zone three. And then we feel a lot better during the day too when when we have that energy after a good night's sleep. Um, so I, I find like the lack of opportunities to have a nap during the day, because even 30 minutes napping is, I know that <laughs> I, uh, 
I just feel so much better during the day when I can squeeze in a, a little rest. Um, and oftentimes I start uh, with the evaluation of lifestyle habits with my athletes. Like, how is their sleep? Is there any reason that they get up? Because a lot of my athletes have kids and sometimes a seven-year-old wakes up their mom. Of course, it's a mom, <laughs> but they wake up and uh, disrupts their sleep. So sometimes I have to say, okay, I don't care what you do. You can bribe the kid <laughs> with, you know, like every night that you, you don't wake up mom, mom gives you, you know, I don't know, a dollar. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> one of my athletes, She's a hot, he's, she's a, a partner at Deloitte Norway and she's got twins. And one of the twins used to wake her up at night. And so I think he was at the time seven or eight. And I'm like, well, there shouldn't be a reason that a seven-year-old is waking up mom. So why don't you have a conversation with the kid and see if he would be able to, you know, fall back asleep on his own. And sure enough, she bribed, she bribed the kid. So every night that he didn't wake her up, um, he would get her, I don't know, like five Norwegian crowners, which is, I don't know, at the time it was like $1. And so that way she got her full night's sleep and felt a lot better. So, so it worked? It worked. Yeah. <laughs> but she didn't even think that that would be a big deal, like the lack of or disrupted sleep. Yeah, it's huge. It is huge. Yeah, yeah. I keep I keep thinking about the realities, though. That you know, when I was teaching middle school, you know, I teach all day. I was tired. I still have papers to grade because I was an English teacher, and then trying to train. And there are just you know, and I didn't have a family at the time. Um, it, it's the reality is tough. How do you? I mean, how can we? it almost seems like a healthy everyday athlete is almost a, an oxymoron. Yeah, it's not easy. It, it certainly isn't easy. And, you know, I, again, I, I, I get a lot from Dan Plews actually, who's, he's written quite a few blogs on this. So it's the, uh, the Endure IQ site and whatnot. And he basically, and he, you know, pr previously, we had a blog together called Plues and Prof, and um, and I, and it's it's right on that. But it's it really kind of comes down to this time management thing that that I mentioned, Paul. And it and granted, it it isn't easy, but if you want to be if you an athlete, if you want to have a performance goal, you need to kind of get your calendar in sync. And just like a meeting gets scheduled, you kind of have to slot in your training time into that into that as well. So during the daylight hours in your calendar, you know when you're going to move from XYZ meetings to XYZ, you know, activities, time with your kids, time with your partner. It's, you know, it's very, it's a, it's a little bit robotic, but that's how, sort of how it needs to get done. If, if, it's, if it's a nap schedule, Mariana's 30-minute nap, it needs to be in there. And it's, you know, again, you... You need to understand a little bit of physiology as well, too, like the circadian rhythm. The ideal time to nap isn't in the morning. It isn't at 5 o'clock. It's right in the siesta hour time between 1230 
and 2.30 p.m. That is actually, physiologically speaking, you will get, you get this little dip in your core temperature that, that um, induces that nap. So, and the listener will, um, will recognize this because when they have their meal around lunchtime, you kind of feel this little bit of a lag after lunch, right? And it's like, oh, I'm a little bit, a little bit sleepy. I can almost go for a nap right now. Well, indeed, that's, that's actually natural. And if you feel that and, and the time is right um, and you have that opportunity to go for 10 minutes to 30 minutes, anywhere kind of in that range, you can just get this little bit of a, of a, of a catnap that, to Mariana's point, wake, you know, um, freshens you up a little bit. And then you can be um, on, on point and aware again. So um, I'm not sure where I was going with this, but, but um, yeah, you have to schedule everything in. That's, that's yeah. what I was sort of saying. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so and when you do, you, you sort of, you know, you got to go with the flow a little bit, but if, but, but, um, but if, it, if you can have a general schedule on these various different things, say, say you're, say you've decided to train twice a day, right? You've got your morning swim, say, for example, and you've got your afternoon workout, like those need to kind of be slotted in. Otherwise, they're not going to get done, unfortunately. Um, and, and that's okay sometimes if they don't. you got to let those go. But that's sort of, I believe, in terms of how you're going to be um, lining up your compass, to pardon the pun. I'm sure this is going to come up a lot in, in subsequent issues. But, but yeah, like you, you really need to kind of put, you know, allow that to be your, your roadmap with your, with your whole calendar. Yeah, uh, scheduling is so important. Like, I've become a master scheduler with three kids, their, their activities. And uh, I realized when I first started scheduling three kids' activities and my own training is that a lot of the times I get some work, like workouts done during their uh, training or activity. So even if it's only 30 minutes or 45 minutes, it's still a lot more than sitting there and scrolling phone. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Um, one of like the same athlete, she, she started taking her meetings on the phone while she was on the walk. And then she found one of her business partners who liked to run. So now they go for her meeting runs. So they go for a morning run and they have their meeting while they run. And what a better way to That's do brilliant. it. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Zwift riding. I know you. You know you can ride ride on Zwift and uh, and and meet meet other friends on there and do some social chatting and you know talk on the phone, etc. At that same time, um, or, or whatever, right? So everything. Yeah, lots. You know, meetings can be done during exercise with colleagues that are on the same program as you. So yeah, these are these are the little clever strategies that you need to kind of. Uh, the everyday athlete needs to to take on board to to get her done at the end of the day. And again, um, uh, health needs to be kind of kind of paramount. Um, if there's one thing you probably want to focus on more, the the everyday athlete, you want to focus more on your health than on your performance per se. If you if you focus on the other one, unfortunately, I, again, as we learned in the second podcast, um, you can be fit but but very unhealthy right so mm. re remember that and um mm. just because you can crank out a big vo2 max test or or crank out a big performance doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy and in the long run remember, remember that we learned that that will eventually de derail you so focus on the health first um for as the everyday athlete 
performance second. Performance will, in the long run, still be better. Um, I just came up with another uh, difference between elite athletes and everyday athletes, uh, which should be a goal for everyday athlete is to develop the feel. Um, you know, when do you feel healthy? When do you feel fit? Is there a difference? Um, for example, I before I got overtrained or during the the period when I was overtrained, I felt like trash all the time. Um, and I would take longer than 30 minute naps and still feel, <laughs> still feel horrible until one of my friends who is an um, Olympic uh, swim coach, she and I had a coffee and we were talking about training and life. And she, she told me like, you, you know, Mariana, you don't always have to feel trashed. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> She's like, no, <laughs> no, you should actually, you should not crash all the time. Yes. Sometimes when you're going through a, a block of lots of training or heavy training, inevitably you're going to feel a, a bit run down, but then you rest and recover from it, but you should not go months and feeling just absolutely garbage. And that was such a wake up call to me. I'm like, huh? Okay. She, I think she's, she probably is right. <laughs> you know, I want to go back to something, Mariana, that's been sticking in my mind since you said it is in, in cause I've noticed this as well, that so many women, especially, but I think people in general who are everyday athletes don't view themselves as everyday athletes and view themselves as just people who are exercising. What do you think the difference is between exercising and training? And is that, does that matter to everyday athletes? And if, if there's a mind shift there that might, that might take place. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I think, um, I think training is when you have a systematic plan because exercise is just like you go for a run here and there, but when you train, this is how I view it. When you're training, you actually have a systematic plan that you, and maybe a goal, it could be, you know, better your 5k time, or if you're couched to 5k to actually accomplish that 5k, or it could be to accomplish, you know, Ironman or half marathon. So when, when you're exercising, you just randomly just do stuff. You go for spinning class here and then that's my view. Paul, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly it where, yeah, you, um, you do have this, I guess this mind shift, uh, towards having a goal. And that's, um, that's really helpful, I believe for, for your health as well, because it does remember that having physical activity exercise is one of the fundamental, you know, components of being, um, being a healthy human, right? So you don't, you don't have to look to too many different, you know, international guidelines to, to know that, that we should, we should move our bodies We're we're human beings. We're meant to move our bodies. Right. And it helps if you have a, as Mariana was saying, a systemized, systematic approach to, to that, especially in today, today's age. So, um, and, and again, remember sense of purpose, always sense of purpose in life for all of us 
is something that brings us happiness and, um, uh, you know, completeness, fulfillment in life. So, um, you know, actually having a goal like, you know, the, the list that Mariana gave, it, it's totally dependent on you, uh, the listener, but that's, that's just a really positive thing to have in your life. And then, and then, yeah. And it's, so it's, it's just that it is that mind shift to saying, Oh, I'm not, not just going to go ho hum, do, do whatever when I can. It's like, so, okay, let's, let's get a little bit more serious about this. Let's take, let's go up one level from where we're already are at. And, um, and yeah, and you shift to, to that, that mindset that I, that I am, you know, I am a, an everyday athlete and I'm, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. And the, I, I just want to emphasize one of the really important points that Mariana made as well. And that's that training doesn't have to be, you don't have to always be on the bit every yeah, single yeah. day. And that's just like, it's so, it's just so wrong, but the majority of, uh, you know, the, the bigger, the, the biggest belief that's, that's out there and prevalent is that you, that's the only way to get to, to your success. And I just don't believe that, that you necessarily have to go that, uh, you know, deep into, um, fatigue where you're just absolutely, you've got, you know, you, you don't even enjoy your life. Um, and you know, Mariana's got a great star. She's been there before. I think we've all been there and that's it, but you know, you can, you know, you can go just as well, if not better by, um, by training smarter, not harder. You know, and that really leads me to this entirely self-serving question for all of us is like, is, is why do you think an everyday athlete could use or needs a coach? I think because they need to, you know, they, they need a reminder and, um, you know, there's, yeah, it, it's just a coach is someone that's gone there before and, you know, it's, it's someone you can reflect with on your everyday challenges and, uh, they can be your, you know, your guiding compass and, um, get you back on track. Um, we all need a partner in crime to, to do with, do what we are doing. And, uh, and, and yeah, uh, th that's, that's the role of the coach is, is to be there and, to hold your hand and, and, and walk you through on that journey. Mariana, what do you think? I, I think, um, everyday athletes need a coach to guide them through their journey, just because there's so many bumps on the road Ooh, and nice. so many opportunities to, um, go astray. <laughs> um, <laughs> And honestly, like our family members are not that interested in your latest run. So you always know that you have somebody who wants to hear about that run or race or epic adventure somewhere. So sometimes you just, you just need a partner to listen to your, your race or your run. <laughs> it could be that simple, but honestly, like I think uh, everybody can um, learn from a coach. And this is one of my, uh, goals as a coach is to teach them how to listen to their body, how to read training plans and how to adapt, like adjust them when needed. And thankfully Athletica is so flexible, 
flexible so that you can you can change plans if your life plans change. You can uh, squeeze in a 30-minute 30-30 VO2 max session when you are short of time and you can change your sessions depending on what else you have on the plate. Um, but having a coach to guide you, I think it's so important and like how to interpret, okay, today I ran a lot faster than I did last week, or today I felt horrible after my bad sleep. So those like small things that, okay, you can go and Google them, but you never know what you're getting, what advice you're going to get. But uh, having a coach to guide you and kind of like interpret what else is going on in your life is very valuable, I think. I, I have noticed definitely with, with the athletes that are working with Athletica is, is that it's, it's great to have the program and then the coach gets to provide all the rest of the motivation, the n- nutrition, the switching around the schedules. And that's kind of the cool thing because we get to be their support and we get to listen to them. Um, but we also get to be their guide as well. Um, you know, it's one thing to have the training plan, but it's also to have someone who's, you know, holding the compass with you as it were, and is, um, there for you. Um, anything yeah. that, go ahead. Paul. No, I, just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't agree more, Paul. And again, I, I love looking at the program that you offer, um, seeing the stuff that you're doing away from the training, you know, with the yoga sessions and these sorts of things. And, you know, uh, again, you know, um, mobility, you know, uh, is, is a, is, is a key one, core strength, um, all, all these other different aspects. It's not just about the training sessions. So again, but, but not everyone will necessarily realize that uh, Athletica can't offer it all. As one example, no, no training plan can. So, um, you know, yeah, it's the, there's, there's just so much more that a coach can offer based on their experience and the various different other skill sets that they bring to the table. All right, so three takeaways that I'm getting from our conversation today is that a a healthy athlete, a healthy everyday athlete is one who challenges themselves, hones their skills, has a training plan and a goal, um, and that we are all athletes, and that's a a mind shift. Second, um, everyday athletes are different from elite athletes primarily because of training volume and because of time management. Um, elite athletes, their only job is to train and recover. And the rest of us have to deal with our family and work schedules. And number three, everyday athletes might want to, and I don't want to put shoulds in here, but you might want to think about training healthy first and being focused on your health first, and then increase that will increase your performance. Um, anything else, Mariana and Paul, you want to add to today's episode? I think you nailed it. All right. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening and join us next week when we talk about why it's so important for everyday athletes to be consistent in their training. For Mariana Rakai, Dr. Paul Larson, I'm Paul Werlowski, and this has been the Athlete's Compass Podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Athlete's Compass podcast, your guiding light through the complex world of training for your endurance sport. For a deeper dive into the science, listen to our companion podcast, the Training Science Podcast, and check out the AI adaptive training platform, athletica.ai. Thanks.